Hi, this is Jeff Thigpen, Guilford County Register of Deeds. And I'm Carly Malcolm, lead for North Carolina Fellow for Guilford County from the UNC School of Government. And welcome to the Good Grief Podcast. Have you ever lost a loved one and had to figure out what to do? Have you ever felt alone and overwhelmed? Did it make you wonder why on earth this is all so complicated? In this podcast series, we bring together community partners to talk unapologetically about issues of death and dying. We answer questions about funerals, hospice, estates, and more to give our listeners the knowledge they need to make decisions for themselves and their loved ones. We want everyone in Guilford County to know that they're supported, that we live in a community where we cannot only live and live well, but when we die, we can also die well because we care. So we thank you for joining us for the Good Grief Podcast and for taking this step to be better prepared for end-of-life challenges. This is Jeff Thigpen, Guilford County Register of Deeds, with the Good Grief Podcast. We have a very special guest with us this morning, Patty Gasparello. Patty is the director of Kids Path with Aurora Care and deals with the areas of bereavement and counseling relating to children. And so, Patty, I just want to say thank you for being here this morning. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Jeff. Can you tell us about Kids Path? What's the vision of Kids Path and what are some of the services you provide? Okay, Kids Path is actually a program within Authoricare Collective. And Authoricare Collective is actually the name of the agency that originated with Hospice of Alamance Caswell and Hospice at Greensboro. The two agencies merged actually a year ago, October 1, and became Authoricare. And the merger was a way to pool our resources as well as all of our expertise and skills of various staff members. KidsPath, though, has actually been around since 2001 when Hospice at Greensboro founded the program. And the mission of the program is really two programs or two components. One is to provide grief counseling to children and teens who have had a loss of a loved one, as well as to help children who have very sick family members. The other second program part of Kids Path is providing hospice care to children who are living with life-threatening or life-limiting illnesses. In 2003, hospice in Alamance-Caswell actually joined the Kids Path program, meaning Greensboro opened it up to other hospices to use the trademark so people would know if you have a kid's path, you can get either health care for children with life-limiting illnesses or grief counseling for children. So we came on board at Hospice of Alamance-Caswell in 2003, and then when merger happened, I'm now over both Kids Path in Greensboro and in Burlington or Authoricare. So Kids Path has been around for a while. You have organizationally go through, gone through some consolidations over the past year and are still moving strong. How many staff members do you have and do you have volunteers that are involved? In Kids Path, we have five counselors who were specifically trained to work with children in grief. And that's five with the combined program, both what we call East and West campuses, West being Greensboro, East being Burlington. For the pediatric program, we have a combined total of three nurses and three, two to three social workers. Everybody does a little bit of everything. And for the pediatric program, volunteers are very active in our hospice program where they can provide some support to families and children who are sick. They're also very involved with a number of the events we provide in the counseling department. And you came from Alamance County? Yes. I okay. started at hospice at Alamance County 
over 25 years ago. And so I've been there a while. This is your background in social work, counseling? Actually, yes. I started out after grad school working in child welfare, then moved to children and mental health, then came on board at Hospice of Alamance Caswell, where I was the director of social work. And when we started the Kids Path program in Burlington, I became the director of it. So you've been doing this work for 25 years? Over, yes. Wow. I know you've... <laughs> You've seen some incredible situations in that time. Yes. You know, and so much of this is talking about grief and just in terms of the the few people that I've known who've had to deal with these particular kinds of situations with children, they can be very complex physically, emotionally, socially, financially. And so, you know, how do you navigate within Kids Path the approach of dealing with grief with children? That's a great question. And sometimes I think that as adults, we sometimes underestimate how observant children are, how they're very intuitive to what's going on in their home and their families. And while we often as adults want to protect children from sadness over what might be happening to someone they care about, we're really not helping them if we do that. So what we've learned is that if we don't include children in what is going on, whether it's someone who is going to be imminently dying or has a prognosis where they're going to die, then we really rob them of the opportunity to let us know what they need from them and and share their feelings with us and help them cope with those feelings. And we also rob them of the opportunity to gain further resilience in, in dealing with difficult things in life. But I think another important part of us, if we don't include them in what's happening or the death of a loved one, is that they may get the message that they weren't important enough to be told about what what's going on. So you're dealing with children that both have terminal illnesses and you're dealing with children that are processing serious illnesses and in some cases terminal illnesses of friends and loved ones. Yes, exactly. There are two programs within Kids Path, one for the counseling for grief and one for the pediatric program. There certainly is a lot of grief in the pediatric program as well, and there's a lot of crossover between the programs then. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of the serious illness piece and terminal illness, I would suspect there would be partnerships that you all would be working with related to, I guess there would be like the case management component of, in, in terms of the health issues, dealing with the situation the child may be going through, and then you all would be a, a supportive influence in that kind of situation, right? Exactly. For the pediatric program, we're actually provided a nurse who is, works as the case manager, a social worker slash counselor, a chaplain and volunteer if, if desired, and that team works with the family, the child and the family, and to provide symptom management for the child to help them understand what physical changes may be happening or what to expect. But then the counselor or social worker in there is the one who would be working with the family on what on the changes in the family, how people are feeling, working with siblings who may feel sort of left out or not understand what's going on. So yes, there is a lot of crossover in both those programs. Because when parents or guardians are told that their child has a life-limiting or threatening illness, the grief for them really begins right away, mm -hmm. meaning that it's the loss of a healthy child, and you're the parent who's going to have to help them navigate that, as well as your own feelings with that in the family. You're not only assessing the situation of a terminally ill child and the, the pediatric or even 
perinatal care that's going on related to supporting that child. You're assessing the parents. You're looking at the pain and distress that they are going through and the decisions, unfortunately, in cases they have to make. So then you've got also the situations where you have a child going through a terminally ill situation. Then you have the child processing loss and grief with loved ones around them, including parents and loved ones in that kind of situation as well. And part of what I see, you know, in looking at it is when you're dealing with children in that situation, you also have to assess where they are. I mean, there's, you know, the physical, emotional, spiritual. How does that come out? And it comes out in a lot of ways, right? It does. And children who have a terminal prognosis or life-limiting illness are really remarkable. I think the thing that I've learned through all these years of working with sick children is that they're incredibly resilient. And the first thing is they just want to be children. And yes, you have to be honest with them and share with them what their illness is. And children often take an incredible amount of ownership of it, and just despite some young ages, but they really just want to be children. And so you'll have children who who beg to go back to school. And if they're immune suppressed and really shouldn't be in school, then pre-COVID even, then you have to deal with that. And because that's where their friends are, that's where activities are. So for the most part, children get on board pretty quickly with okay and share their feelings and what they want are what normal children want. We do know that as their condition worsens, if they're old enough, there are certain things very important to them, like they want to make sure that they're remembered. They want to leave a legacy. They want to be able to say things to people who are important to them. And so we're very aware of that when we're working with children and families and helping children do those things, as well as help their families know what those children need for them. But day to day, they want to do just what everybody else does. It's always interesting when you have teenagers who never wanted to go to school, but when they know that their life is limited, that's where their friends are, and that's where normal teenage life is. And so we've had to work with some school systems through the years on accepting children who are fairly ill but want to be there. Yeah. You mentioned the term resilience a couple Mm -hmm. of times, and that's something that I have to remember when I have been in situations where I've seen people dealing either with the terminal illness of a child and or the child or teen working through it. A lot of times as adults, we want to fix things, right? We want everything to be better. We want to give a simple answer. We want to be able to tell them everything is going to be all right. Unfortunately, sometimes we get into a bunch of cliches. We do. And we do. And you know what? We can't fix the sadness that children have, whether it's over the loss of someone or, or their own limited life. And so, but what we can do for them is listen, and I mean truly listen, find time to hear what they have to say, encourage them sharing their feelings, no matter what those feelings are. We often have a saying, feelings are not right or wrong, they just are. And what's important is helping children be able to express them in ways that are healthy. You know, you don't want children hurting each other or themselves, but anger is a is a normal feeling. And so we want to encourage kids to be able to express whatever it is and give them ways to express it that are healthy and appropriate. Yeah. Exhaustion, fatigue, mood swings. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. And grief as a, is, is really an up and down 
back and forth kind of a process that's not easy to to follow, right? Yeah, and I'm thinking of a a young boy who died within the last couple years who was nine and had a brain cancer, and he really adjusted fairly well. But, you know, you get that diagnosis and you're in treatment right away. It's like your whole world has changed. Then there may be surgeries, there may be chemo, then maybe you can go to school, maybe you can't. But then when things level out, whether it's a good prognosis, meaning the illness has been contained or not, then children want to just do what children do. But then as they decline, and there's a real awareness that they're not going to be able to go back to school because they're so sick or join their friends in the kinds of activities that friends do. It can be very, very sad for them. And we have to encourage parents to hear what their children say. And in this one particular case, this young boy who had been going to school part-time then was talking one day and the nurse and I were there about wanting to go back the next day. And the mother was encouraging him, well, why don't we just go for lunch? That's a fun time. You'll see your friends. Don't have to do do that work. And he was like, no, I want to go for the half day that I've (laughs) been going. And he was very sick and it was not likely that he'd be able to. Well, the next day when he woke up and he realized he couldn't really go, And what was so sad was when we were there later, it was like he understood that that was the beginning of things that he wasn't ever going to. He wasn't going to have another upswing. And one of the fascinating things about him was during the last months of his life, he stayed in his parents' bed at the age of nine in between them for that safety and security. And the day that he realized that he would not be joining his friends at school anymore, he went back to his own room. And it was like he needed to somehow separate from that closeness and start to get used to the idea that he wouldn't be around. And it was so sad, but the family, what was wonderful was, I know it's it's really makes me cry thinking back on it, but what was so beautiful was that then the parents and the brother moved pallets into his room and spent the night with him on the floor in his room because they didn't want him to be alone and they wanted to be with him. But what wisdom. And what resiliency and compassion and support that you find in these situations that help us dig underneath a world with a lot of superficial problems and issues. And you hear a story like this that is incredibly touching. And it serves as an example for us to understand how meaningful a human life is and how in the midst of terminal illness and tragedy and unimaginable situation, people can come together and love and support each other. Amazing story. And that's true. And that resiliency and what we learn from children and their families, you can't really learn in books. They teach us so much about life and what's important. And even a family member said that at the funeral, you know, this is a message to all of you, you know, continue to do fun things. Don't put so much pressure on all the things we think we have to do in life. Enjoy your family and children and, you know, do crazy things like go to a ball game um, <laughs> on a Tuesday yeah. school night and who cares? Invite, invite all the friends. And I think for parents who lose a child, one of the things they would say is, is just what you're speaking to that 
They often see themselves after the death at some point that their values about what's important to them has changed. They gain an awareness for what's important in life, but I would say that they would tell you that the wisdom they gain comes at a great cost because parents, the loss of that child is forever. It doesn't mean they can't get to a better place in life and continue moving forward, but the loss is forever because when a child dies, you're also losing the milestones. When a nine-year-old goes into middle school, you won't be at that elementary school graduation or high school one or college or their first job or a marriage or a grandchild. So that if parents continue to grieve at different, at different points of the milestones that they will never see. And it's also the loss of all their hopes and dreams they had for that child. Any of us who are parents know when we saw that little baby, we were already filled with lots of hopes and dreams. And so it is a different kind of loss than any other kind of loss. And through that comment, you're getting into the question I was going to ask you about grief counseling for children and how it differs from programs offered for adults. And I think that comment alluded to the fact that when you're dealing with an adult who loses a child, it is a a very special kind of loss, Mm -hmm. a unique kind of loss. And there has to be the space to process that supportive counseling and community for that. And then there's also the child who is processing and grieving in situations at the loss of adults. So you're dealing with both, right? Yes, we are, and and siblings of children who die. And I think the one of the things that when I talked about the wisdom parents feel like they gain at great cost, I think about a number of the children that we've worked with who have had significant losses in their lives. So they've come in for bereavement counseling. As young children, we have bereavement camps in the summer. And through the years, a number of the children that I've worked with who were 8, 9, 12, when family members died, and a number of them had parents who died, they now come back as teenagers and young adults and work camp, and they wow. share their stories. So you, so these bereavement camps are children yes. in camps yes, with each other talking about their yes. losses. Since we've merged, prior to merger, both the West Campus, Greensboro, had a bereavement camp, and East Campus, Burlington, had a bereavement camp too. And while the camps are a little bit different, both of the goals of the camp are for children to have a safe place to be able to be with other children who had a significant loss, do some fun activities, do some meaningful remembrances. And so they're a wonderful place. They're like 12-hour camps for one day. The organizations put a lot of time and energy into them because we see how kids connect with each other. It's Someone once made the comment to me at lunchtime during our camp how one of our volunteers was sitting at a table with camps and how one kid turned to the other and just said, so who died in your family? Mm. Like you wouldn't hear that elsewhere. It's Death yeah. is such a difficult topic in, in our society. And yet when you give kids a safe space where it's okay to talk about it and express their feelings about it, they just open up. I'm always... Still after all these years, because I still work camp, I'm always amazed at how open kids can be when we just give them the message that it's important to share your feelings and how open they are and how much we can learn from them. Yeah, giving them that from freedom and permission to in that space share. It sounds incredibly important. And in the time of COVID-19, we're having this interview. And so I, I would guess, like many support groups and organizations, we've all had to adjust to this moment where it is incredibly hard to have human contact. 
And it is. And when you think about the added factors that COVID places on children in grief, meaning many are either not in school or part-time in school, there may be changes at home with, with family incomes, with parents' schedule. You may have a parent who's not so into homeschooling. <laughs> there is a lack of support. They also missed out on a lot of activities last spring, graduations. And think of activities, how many kids, whether it's sports or band or scouts, or there are so many things that kids didn't get where bereaved children may have had an outlet as well as support. So we have had to adjust to it. So what we've done at Kids Path is we are actually now Zooming with children. Are um, you? Yes. Instead of coming into one of our two offices, we got on board quickly with, you know, how do we Zoom with kids and is, is this even going to workable? And we've been shocked at how well it's gone. There have been some real advantages, meaning that we see a child in their home environment when we're Zooming and mm. we see some of the other people in it, even though we request, if possible, let them have a private space and give them that time. But another thing we've done to sort of encourage their expression of grief. We know children do better with expressive arts than with words sometimes. And so we came up with an art supply kit that we put together, our volunteers put together certain basic things, and then we have volunteers deliver them, leave them right outside the home of the child so that, you know, we've talked to the parents, explained what we're doing, and asked them to keep this for their sessions so that children have this paper bag, tote bag, with all these supplies. And then when they meet the counselor, they're doing some of the artwork or painting or even playing with board games that are grief-related. And it's been wonderful. And it's really sort of given kids a boost in counseling. And our counselors a boost as well. Great. Yeah, this is such a needed organization and part of our community that is there to provide support for both children and adults focused on children. Where are y'all located? We are located on Summit Avenue in Greensboro, 2500, and in Burlington on Chapel Hill Road, 914. So most people attend or go to whichever one is closest, but during the era of Zoom, we can be flexible, but there are excellent counselors on both campuses. So that is where we're located. But for counseling right now, we are Zooming. We mm -hmm. do have in our adult program a number of groups, support groups for people who have had specific losses, a spouse, a suicide, an overdose. And we also have certain events in Kids Path. We typically have a number of groups and different ways of supporting children. And we are going to have a holiday event coming up in November where we're going to do it virtually and see how that goes. In the adult program, they are also having a number of holiday events to choose from. So those are all on our website and will be uh, available. Which website? And the Authoricare and authoricare.org. And I will tell you, I think if you went to Hospice at Greensboro or Hospice of Alamance Caswell, it will direct you there. You. But for those people who want to go directly there, one way I think it's easy to remember our name is Authoricare is actually spelt like author, like the author of a book, acare.org. And the name actually came from the meaning of the name is that our agency both 
providing hospice care to adults, children, as well as counseling, our mission is really to help families write their story, meaning how can we help you at this point in your life fulfilling what you see, your story. And so that's why it's easy for me to remember Arthur A. Care. <laughs> Arthur A. Care. <laughs> because it is, it, the name does come from, for you're the author of your story. Yeah. And we'll have Risa Hanau in to talk about Arthur Care. Part of the reason we have these podcasts is to help the community understand the ecosystem that is out there around end-of-life care and serious illness and bereavement in that space where we are both in the presence of the possibility of dealing with the death of a loved one and or accessing the systems and the institutions that are in place that are there to support and understand. And a lot of times understanding that ecosystem is very complex and it's very hard and the resources change quickly and everything like that. But hopefully, you know, we'll be able to to be able to express those. So it's, it's good to see that we can remember how to find kids path through author, Arthur Acare. Author Acare, right. <laughs> right. And please yeah. No, Risa is a close friend as well as a colleague and has been around quite a while as well. And she will be able to help you understand the merged agency and all the different programs that are provided through AthoraCare at this point. And so I think that's a great decision because you are right. We've even had different hospital systems not sure, are we here? Are they here? Who do we go through? So I think that will be a great service to people. Yeah, well, we're looking forward to to talking with her. And I just want to, again, thank you, Patty, for your work and for what you do with Kids Path. It's an incredibly important service and really appreciate your voice today on the Good Grief Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Grief Podcast. We want your feedback. You can visit our website at www.guilforddeeds.com. You can also email us at endoflife at guilfordcountync.gov or find us on Twitter with the handle at guilford underscore ROD. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and until next time, take care.